thousands of children are school striking for the climate on the streets of Brussels. Hundreds of thousands are doing the same all over the world. Let's flood the world of climate activists. Let's get out of the zones of convenience and join forces and start taking ourselves more seriously. Welcome to our podcast. We are historians for future, and we want to know what historians and other researchers or activists have to say about a climate emergency, our history and our future. Our aim is to provide a historical perspective on the climate and biodiversity crisis we are facing. How did we get here and where might we go? Hello everyone. Welcome back to Historians for Future podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Milo Probst, a PhD student in the History of Department at University of Basel. Milo and I talk about ecological emancipation, the history of social and political ideas, and his recently published book, Environmentalism on 99%. So Milo, over to you. Well, I think um, I care a lot about the future because there is so much at stake actually. So if we just read uh, the last reports of, let's say, the IPCC, we say how um, important and how um, scary um, those scenarios are. Uh, so this is, I think, one of the most important um, motivations for me to, to act uh, in the present. So that's the first thing I would like to, to say. The second one is, um perhaps that i just don't i i don't not only um care about the future but also about what is happening now in the present uh, so we have already now a lot of consequences of um environmental and climate uh, catastrophe so um if i care about the future it is also because i already see let's say glimpses of what will come uh, in the future Yes, certainly. Uh, so you're a historian, right? Would you yes. call yourself a historian? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. how do you think the past might help us inform the future and, and the present, as you say? Well, I think, and that's a bit trivial, uh, but um, the past can instruct us and inspire us. This is my conviction. Uh, I'm convinced about that, but... Um, I think we have also, or the question now is how can the past do that? And uh, here, I think we have to avoid like uh, two kinds of false uh, conclusions. The first one is the idea that we just have to copy the past. Uh, so uh, basically that every uh, answer to uh, actual problems are already already in the past and we only have to copy them. So that would be like the first um, idea. And I think it, it is wrong because we really live in a different situation. We, we are really in a new territory with uh, actual uh, environmental destruction. So this is the first um, um, false conclusion, I would uh, say. And the other one is quite symmetrical to the first. It would say that we are in such a different period that the past doesn't have anything to say to, uh, to us. 
Um, so I think this is uh, um, wrong um, too, because um, we still can find clues in the past, alternative ways of thinking, of doing, and of relating also to the environments. And we have to unearth them in order to, to, to get inspired and in order to, to, to develop um, res responses uh, to, to actual uh, challenges. Perfect. So you recently published, I believe in English, it's called Environmentalism of the 99%. Um, yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, this actually, I can start with the history of, of the book. It, it's, it's based on material I, I, I collected, uh, readings I did uh, for my PhD student, uh, for, for my PhD thesis. And um, I tried uh, there to um, develop some ideas more generally um, who are also um, more accessible for uh, a broader public. Um, and I start um, from uh, three uh, assumptions, basically. I say first that, and this is also uh, quite known, I think, that uh, environmental destruction and climate change are systemic problems. So we can't solve them within the parameters of, let's say, racial or heteropatriarchal uh, capitalism. And therefore, and this is, I think, quite important, environmentalism can't be consensual. So uh, environmentalism has to um, be, um, be um, um, implemented through political and social conflicts. Um, this is the first assumption. And the second one, uh, follows directly from the first. It says that um, environmentalism is not an isolated issue. It is linked to other social and political problems. This is basically what um, um, env environmental and uh, climate justice movements uh, say, you know, that we have to link um, the struggle against um, climate um, change with the struggle against um, racial oppression, against social oppression or gender um, inequality. Um, so, and, and the, third, the third assumption is that we don't have to reinvent everything. So that um, struggles for what we now call uh, climate justice or environmental justice are older than first Fridays for Future, of course, but also older than the modern environmental movement of the 1970s. So, and this is the reason why uh, I start a journey through history of the 19th and early 20th century and a history of anarchist ideas, um, basically, but also libertarian socialism, where different actors tried to link questions of oppression and questions of environmental destruction truly really fascinating um it's interesting how you note the intersectionality of, of all this environmentalism movement climate justice and everything included um for our listeners who may be you know new to all of this um how might you suggest that they could gain a grip on on something so so massive but also in so intersectional. You mean for the present? You mean for... Yeah, how, how they can yeah. kind of, you know, contribute to this or be productive in, in ways that they see, see fit, possibly. I mean, this is something 
really important for me that I don't um, draw conclusions from my uh, uh, desk, but I'm very inspired by uh, actual social movements. So if people ask what they should do, I always respond that people should um, get organized and, and, and participate in, in, in social movements that are actually already drawing those intersectional conclusions. So um, this is nothing I, I just, I'm just inventing, um, but something I, I, I am, I'm inspired by um, actual social movements. So um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I consider myself also as an activist and as an activist and I also think that um, some very important um, insights I have or gained was through um, political activism. So I think um, to be active is one of the most important ways uh, to understand uh, links between different kinds of oppression. Mm. Do you think uh, researchers like, like you and I should be activists? I mean, obviously me and you are activists, but other researchers who, who may look at movements like, like this and other things and think, oh, no, I need to be impartial as, a, as an academic researcher or, or a scientist or something. Yeah, I think um, everyone should be active, so not only um, 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 researchers or academics. I think uh, it is a civic responsibility. So, um, And the question that follows, of course, is how to... to um, to link those different activity, activities. And I think there is, of course, a tension, um, a tension between the logics of academic research and you say impartiality, but I think, well, um, you are never impartial, but you, um, you are always oriented, politically oriented also in your research, but still there is a tension. Um, and uh, it is also for me not uh, very easy to handle that. But um, the situation is uh, such a mess, actually, that we have to act, I think. And people are acting, if you just uh, follow what uh, happened with uh, Scientists for Future in the last uh, weeks. There were a huge amount of, of, of scientists um, going to the streets and uh, doing civil disobedience so i think we should take that as an example mm. yeah it's massive in the news um where, where do you think we might go then where do you think where do you think all this goes in in the in maybe an ideal world where, where does this go well i think what what um and the last uh, let's say decades show us is that um just awareness of the problem won't solve the situation. So um, scientists are warning since decades and political um, important persons, um, politically important persons like governments or um, and business owners know about the problem since decades and they don't do anything. So the question is not only um, um, a question of awareness, but also of political um, pressure and um, of um, power relations. And so I think uh, what, is, uh, what we need urgently is show social mobilization from the bottom to, in order to, to put pressure on those who decide about 
the future of, of, of this planet. And so I think that my ideal world would be a world where um, the logic of profit, the logic of profit that puts, um, as I said, profit before um, the needs of the majority and also the needs of nature, let's say, uh, this logic, logic has to uh, be um, ended and replaced by a logic that puts needs of people and nature at the center. And so it would be, and you can call this differently, but you can call it eco-socialist, you can call it um, eco-anarchism. I don't care very much about those labels, but it's, it is basically a logic that is, is, is quite different uh, um, to uh, the one uh, we are living in now. Hmm. Um, so you mentioned you are a PhD candidate. What 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 is your? Tell us about that. Well, um, the, the subject I'm um, working on um, is quite similar to to what I wrote al already uh, uh, in in my book. As I said, is the, the the book is based on 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 a lot of material and 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 readings I did. Um, I work on anarchists' idea of environmentalism, if you want, uh, if you say you can say it like that, in in the at the end of the nineteenth and the beginning beginning of the twentieth century. I basically focus on uh, French speaking anarchism, and I try to um, show that um, actually anarchists in in those in these times tried to link emancipation and, and emancipatory politics with different relations to the non-human surroundings. So that those questions have always been linked in, in those ideas. Um, and what interests me is how they did those links, basically. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. Um... So to sum up, how might we use your work or, or the ideas that you're discussing to help, you know, stimulate more environmentally sustainable or activist kind of based futures? Um, and why might this be important? I think that um, we are in front of a really important challenge. And this challenge is um, how to link the project of emancipation so freedom democracy solidarity with the question of sustainability because in the history if you look if we look at the past 200 years we, we see that there is a complex relationship relationship between those um, ideas and projects there's on the one hand uh, we have to admit that liberty and well-being has been gained through exploitation of others, so humans, but also non-humans, so nature. And so this is one aspect. And the other aspect is that, of course, politically, ecolo ecology is unthinkable, or at least I would say not desirable, without emancipation. So how can we relate those projects? So the project of emancipation and the project of ecology. And now... One answer would be, okay, we have to forget everything from the past. We have to reinvent everything. And my stance would be, no, we should look into the past for breaches 
in dominant discourses and ideas where actors in from the past already did those links and tried to ima uh, imagine the project of emancipation not as something that needs environmental exploitation but something that also includes non-human um, surroundings so this would i think be a, a contribution i try uh, to make 